Well, good morning. It's good to be with you today. Thank you, Pastor Stephen and Andrea. You've got a great pastor and family. Amen. Amen. So, thank you for the warm and gracious invitation. As he said, my name is Jessica Bryan. Uh, I travel and I get to speak and tell people about Jesus. How awesome of a job is that? Amen. I get to do that. I am also a mother of three boys. They are very active and very wild. They are seven, six, and three years of age. So aside from traveling and speaking, I am also a wife and a mother. And it is such a joy to be with you today. But how many of you would agree that sleep is good and even necessary in order to be able to function, to function well, right? You know, I would agree with that. If you're anything like myself, you would also agree that you could use a little bit more of it, amen, right? You guys could use a little more sleep. But did you know that based on the average life expectancy here in the United States, that the average person will spend nearly 26 years of their life asleep? That means that if you and I live or exceed the age of 78 and a half years of age, we will have slept about one-third of our lives away. Some of you are immediately rethinking that need for more sleep, right? How encouraging we're sleeping our lives away. But although sleep is good and it's even necessary, right, for us to be able to function, we've already established that. There are certain times when sleeping is not such a good idea or it doesn't render such positive benefits like, you know, if I were to fall asleep during a job interview. How many know that's probably not such a good time to fall asleep or on a date? Any single people in the room? Here's a free piece of advice. If you want a second date, don't fall asleep on that first date. Um, While watching a movie, I don't know, ladies, about you, but my personality is this. As soon as a movie comes on, that's my cue to go to sleep. My husband does this every single time. He's like nudging me, are you watching this? Are you awake? And I'm like, dude, you know the answer. Like, we've been married 13 years. Uh, You know, during a movie, uh, also during a church service. I'm sure none of you are guilty of falling asleep during any message ever during church, but you know, right now during this sermon, not a good time to fall asleep. Or while driving, let me know that that could be very not only not beneficial, but dangerous. You know, for me, anybody that knows me personally knows that around about 8, 8.30 p.m., my body and like my brain just begin to shut down. Anybody else relate? I largely attribute this to having three small children. Eight o'clock is a wonderful time in my home. I love my children with all of my heart, but it's bedtime. You know, bedtime is a glorious time. Eight o'clock comes around, and sometimes, you know, during the course of the day, I'm constantly moving, and 8.30 is the first time that I've been able to sit down throughout the course of a day, and when I do, I'm out. You know, who would have thought that being an evangelist would mean that I would have to travel? and drive at times past eight o'clock p.m. You know, what a, what a thought. But there are times when I do have to travel and travel past eight o'clock p.m. In the eve- at night, and I have to do it solo. You know, like this trip here today, there are times when I have to do that by myself. And so I've kind of had to get creative in ways to help aid in keeping me awake and alert. And so I found that consuming large amounts of caffeine very helpful. Um, 
utilizing that cool night air when it's cooler out or blasting the AC, chewing large wads of bubble gum is very helpful so I don't choke and die. <laughs> you know, all of these things. But one of the most useful things that I have come to find is utilizing technology. How many are thankful for technology and, and what it allows us to be able to do? I have Bluetooth technology in my minivan. I am a mom and I have a minivan. And uh, so there are times I make those hand-free phone calls and if I'm getting tired, I'll call my husband, but I know that around 10 o'clock, my husband, my siblings, my parents, they say things like, hey, uh, if you need anything, feel free to give me a call. I know that means they're getting ready for bed. And so I will always know that I can count on one person. Uh, my grandmother, she actually lives in New Hampshire, was born in Massachusetts here. And um, I'll call her. My grandfather has recently graduated to heaven. And so her schedule has changed. She's up later. And so I'll give her a phone call. And one particular time, it was about 11.30 at night. I had just finished a conference, and I had about a three, three-and-a-half-hour drive ahead of me. And I was tired, and I had exhausted all my other phone calls. <laughs> and I pick up the, or didn't pick up the phone, hands-free. I, I called my grandmother, and, you know, she literally talked me for two-and-a-half hours all the way into my driveway. You know, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, companions are essential to the journey. Companions are so important to our journey, journey, but, you know, more than even having the use of technology, there's nothing quite like having an in-person companion with you along the journey. You know, how many can say that it's a good thing to have companions physically present with you on a trip or on a journey? You know, when I think about this, this past summer, they have some pictures up here. I was telling Pastor Stephen and Andrea yesterday that last summer I got invited to speak in North Dakota at their week-long youth camp. And a huge highlight for me was that they invited my entire family to come along. You know, when you're a family of five, <laughs> that's not always a possibility or a reality financially and all of those things. But they invited my entire family to come along with me, and so we took them up on this offer. We had never been there. And uh, we visited both North and South Dakota while there. We visited um, in Bismarck, North Dakota. They have a dinosaur museum. So if you are a mom of three boys, you go to the dinosaur museum. Uh, we did that. We also went and we saw Mount Rushmore and the Badlands National Park in South Dakota. And we finished up our trip in a little town called Medora, North Dakota. Anybody ever been there or familiar with that? It was once home to the uh, President Theodore Roosevelt. That's their claim to fame. And we finished off our trip with our first ever pitchfork steak dinner. It was quite the experience. You know, as I reflected back over that trip, uh, you know, I thought, man, this was something very special to me. Probably my favorite trip that I've ever taken. And I began to think, you know, was it the sights? Was it the scenery? Was it the landmarks that we visited and the check marks, you know, on the bucket list? And I realized that it was none of those things, but rather it was the people that were with me along the journey. It was my family who accompanied me on the trip. It, for companions lend an extra set of eyes and ears that often offer additional safety, security, and guidance. You know, companions, they provide fellowship that is often a frequent source of joy and encouragement. Companions partake in the same experiences and they share in the same memories as you. 
And there's a deepening of relationship that takes place in that. Companions contribute a unique set of strengths that are often a benefit to the group. And they'll at times inspire us to try new things. You know, companions are such a a benefit to our lives. You know, as I look at scripture, nowhere do I see us as believers being encouraged to a Lone Ranger mission. You know, when it comes to our walk with God, I believe this, that God has intended and created us to do life together in community. God has created us to grow and to work together to accomplish the mission for which he has laid out before us as a church. I mean, no, we're talking big C here too. As, as the church that he has called us and set before us. You know, the mission that we've been assigned didn't come with a promise of ease and comfort. How many understand that in Matthew chapter 16, when you read that dialogue, you understand that Jesus made it very clear that the church would in fact be hell's target. But what's wonderful about that is in Matthew 16, he also makes it clear that he says in spite of that, that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it and the church would be the vehicle by which the world would be evangelized. How many, get, how many understand that that should get us excited today? That no matter what hell throws at us as the body of Christ, that we have a promise that we are empowered and that we will endure. You know, Satan, the arch enemy of God, wants nothing more than to distract Christ's church. He wants nothing more than to damage its testimony and to discourage its mission. And he will use whatever tools and tactics he can to cause as much disruption, and I believe even from within, in order to make that happen. And so as we prepare to turn to our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, you know, we will find that the Apostle Peter here gives these instructions and commands to the church so they might continue to journey together well, maturing in their faith and working together to accomplish the mission so that they might be effective witnesses in the pagan culture. How many today would say, I want to be an effective witness, an effective representative of Jesus Christ to the pagan culture in which I live? He says this, I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And now, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you. Dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Verse eight, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. 
So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I love that passage of scripture. You know, the recipients of Peter's letter were believers who were living in Rome and throughout the Roman province of Asia at this time. They were living under Emperor Nero during his reign. And as you look back at history, what you understand is some of the most intense persecutions came under this man's reign. At this present time, as Peter is writing this letter to the churches that are throughout Rome and throughout the province of Asia, what you understand is this, that here they are, and they they are under a covering, if you will. They are still a part of what's considered to be part of the Jewish sect. And so there's a layer of protection that they have. But Peter, as he's looking at culture and he's looking at society, what he understands is this. The believers were a distinct minority living in a widely pagan culture. And under Emperor Nero's reign, things were getting increasingly more hostile. How many understand that oftentimes our culture is affected by those who are in leadership? And I just say that across the board, right? When you look at the leadership even among in homes, right? The family unit is affected by that. When you look at the leadership in churches, right, the the church is affected by leadership. When you look at the leadership of, of a nation and the world, leadership often affects what goes on in culture. And so Peter is looking at what's going on in the world and his in this time, and he's seeing that a shift is coming. He can see that persecution is on the horizon, and he looks out and he sees that there are potential effects that this could have on the church and their journey together, their testimony, and the mission before them. And so as a result, the Apostle Peter issues this warning to believers. He says this, stay alert. This speaks to a readiness for action. In other words, Peter, as he's penning these words, he's saying, listen, church, you need to be ready to do. You need to be on your toes. He says to watch out. The verb used there speaks to a need to be vigilant or watchful. In other words, he's saying you need to be ready to do and you need to have your eyes open as to what's going on around you. Both of these verbs, there's a sense of urgency here. He's issuing that there is a need for them to stay alert, to stay awake. In other words, as he's writing to the churches here, he's saying if you've gotten lazy in your faith, if you've gotten lax in your walk with God, if you have kind of put your relationship on the back burner, if you have fallen asleep, he's saying, listen, church, this is no time to be sleeping. You better wake up, be on your toes, and be ready for action. You know, I believe that it's true for the day and age in which we are living today. We can look at culture and see, man, there's a shift on the horizon. As a church, as believers, it can be so easy to get comfortable in what we're just doing here, but to understand that we are in a spiritual battle with the enemy, and this is no time to be sleeping. If you've gotten lazy in your walk with Christ, can I tell you today, I believe this is an urgent message from heaven for the church. Church, this is no time to be sleeping. This is time to be ready, to be awake, to be on our toes and ready for action. You know, a few things stuck out to me about Peter's warning and instruction, and the first was this, was the identification of the enemy. You know, he says, your great enemy, the devil. 
You know, we must recognize that as we live in this world, we do have a great enemy and adversary, right? We do have an opponent. And this great enemy, the devil, oftentimes, you know, is pictured almost as non-threatening in culture. You know, anybody that, you know, is around during October and around Halloween, we oftentimes see, you know, this chubby little red guy with a tail and a pitchfork, right, that's represented almost as a non-threatening character, But that's not the description that Peter gives as he's writing to the churches. You know, the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, what does he say? We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but we are in spiritual warfare. You know, there are things and people, I believe, that, yes, tend to over-spiritualize things. You know, they see everything in a spiritual lens. What I mean by that is, say they go to the grocery store, and they're looking for their favorite brand of peanut butter, which could only be Jif, right? How many know what Jif is, right? They go and they're looking on the shelves and all that's left is Skippy. And let's be real, who wants that? And they view this as a personal attack from the enemy, right? How many know that's probably just, that's probably just life? But I think in our culture today, more often than not, we tend to under-spiritualize things. You know, we look at everything through a natural lens. I think with the rise in even social media, it's kind of become easy to look at things and people through a natural lens. You know, what the Apostle Peter is saying here is he identifies the enemy, and this is so important to understand. He doesn't say your great enemy, Emperor Nero. He doesn't say your great enemy, your pagan culture. He doesn't say your great enemy, your brother and sister in Christ who is getting under your skin, right, in the local body. He says your great enemy, the devil. Hear me today, church. It's so easy to look at what's going on in our nation and we look at whoever's in the White House and I'm not getting into anything political this morning. I'm simply saying across the board, your enemy is not who is in the White House. That's quiet. I don't even get that. Your enemy is not who sits in the White House. Your enemy is not the pagan culture in which you live. Your enemy is not your brother and sister in Christ who gets under your skin. Hear me today, your great enemy is the devil. That doesn't mean that people can't be used as tools of the enemy. We understand that, we recognize that, but we also understand that as the church, we are on mission, we are on task. The world out there is not the enemy. They are the mission field, the very ones we are called to reach and so today he describes the enemy he says he prowls he's looking for someone to devour you know lions are considered to be among the greatest of predatory animals they are naturally associated with death and destruction they are inclined to injure and exploit I find it interesting that Peter underscores the fact that the devil is like one who prowls. This means that there's an intended search taking place, right? There's a considered type of prey that he is looking out for, and lions wait deliberately. They are stealthy. They are quiet. They will lay in wait, looking for opportunities when the one who is young wanders from the pack, when the one who is injured is out there on their own, waiting for that weak spot to be exposed. You know, what I find so encouraging about Peter, how many can relate to Peter? 
I mean, I've put my foot in my mouth before. How many can say, I've, I've not been perfect before? And Peter, you know, as he's writing this letter and he's penning these words, understand that the leaders and the pastors of the local churches, they know Peter's history. They know his story. You know, Peter knows what it is to be in Satan's crosshairs. You know, if you rewind, you know, 30 years earlier, you know, he denies Jesus three times. He was the devil's prey in that moment. But aren't you thankful that if you and I are willing to surrender our lives to Christ, to come before him and say, yes, I wasn't perfect. The man that Peter was at this point was far from the man he was 30 years ago. Aren't you thankful today that God, when we mess up, isn't finished with us, but he's willing to walk with us along the journey? So we might issue some warnings and some words of wisdom to the next generation. And he knows his old enemy and how to defend against his tax. And so after he issues this warning to stay alert and to watch out, he encourages them with this command to stand firm and to be strong in the faith. What I find fascinating is after he issues these, these warnings, he follows it up with a reminder. He says, remember. I asked this yesterday, but how many also are prone to forget? I am. He tells them, remember. Remember that you are a part of a family of believers, right, that are experiencing the same kind of suffering you are. Remember, in other words, he's saying, remember that when you came to know Jesus Christ, you had been adopted into a large family of believers that spans worldwide. So you have so many brothers and sisters who you can never learn all the names of, that are too numerous to count, right, that you could never visit in your lifetime. Remember, as you journey, you're not alone. How many are thankful today that we're part of this community, this family of believers? You know, I'm not sure where we're at as far as a global pandemic. I mean, I would say that this thing just kind of comes in waves. What I do know is this, I believe in every season that God has a desire to teach us some things, and in every season we can grow and we can learn. And as I looked at a global pandemic, what I saw was this, and I'm sure it's no astounding re revelation. Most of you, probably all of you, saw this too, but it exposed our great need as humans for community. I mean, when everything was shut down, how many felt like isolated, like almost like the walls were closing in? And it exposed that God has designed us and created us to do life together more than ever before. And as I look at this, as I said initially and in the beginning, you know, technology is a great resource. How many were thankful for the technology to be able to stay connected? And we are thankful for that. But how many understand it was, it's never meant to be a replacement for gathering in the house? I say that today. You know, my grandparents are immune suppressed, so they still have to, you know, navigate things a little different. So we're not talking about that. But what we are talking about is, I've heard, especially in my generation, people say, well, it's just more convenient for me to do church in the living room. I understand this, God never intended for us to do it solo. God intended for us to get in the house and to do life together in community. You know, when I think as a household, I'm reminded that it acts as a container. I mean, no, a, a, a container, it shields it preserves, and it protects. 
But how many know more than that? How many understand that being a part of this family is not just a defense, but it's a weapon against the enemy? And so containers, man, they shield, they preserve, they protect, but they also hold and store content, don't they? They, they house things. That's what containers do. And, you know, as I read 1 Peter chapter 5, I'm reminded that Peter is talking about the contents of the household of believers and the household of faith and how our content should be so different from that of the pagan households. I may understand that as a church, the way we do things, how we look at life, the things that are, are growing and accumulating within this house, within this body, should be so different from what's going on in pagan households. Should be so vastly different. How many have ever cleaned out your refrigerator before? How many are thinking I need to clean out my refrigerator, right? You know, just recently I, um, I made a new commitment. I was gonna try to start eating healthier. Not a diet, just healthier. And that meant for my kids too, and they're still struggling with that greatly. I made whole wheat pancakes the other day, and you would have thought like, you know, I don't know, I, I did something absolutely terrible. But anyway, I was cleaning out my refrigerator and how many have ever found things in the back of your refrigerator and you're like, what was that? <laughs> right? I mean, no, sometimes we allow things, and I love the smiles because I know I'm not the only one then. Um, we allow things to accumulate, right? And now they're no longer good or beneficial. At one time they were good and it was beneficial, but now they just, we would never eat that or consume that. There are other things, right, that we put in there, that got in there, that really had no business in there, like that huge chocolate cake that I know is not. How many understand what I'm talking about? How many know in the household of God, there are times and there are seasons where we have to take inventory and say, you know, this once was good, this once was beneficial, but now it just doesn't work. We're not talking about the timeless truths in scripture, so don't mistake that. How many also understand that sometimes we allow, we allow preferences, we allow traditions to accumulate, right? Sometimes we allow things that were never healthy, right? Like gossip and all of these things to accumulate in the house and they need to go. You get what I'm saying today? that the contents of this household matters. What we allow to accumulate and what we store, and so in this passage of scripture, I'm gonna move quickly, but I saw three primary traits that Peter encouraged should define believers and characterize the church from the world, and the first marker of God's house is this, that harmony echoes from within the, the house. Harmony echoes from within the house. You see, due to the hostility that was forming in culture, you know, Peter is writing this letter to the elders or the local pastors, the shepherds of each community. And he looks to them in order for them to provide the fortitude and the grit, the instruction, right, and the guidance and correction to be able to endure the days that were coming. How many are thankful today for your pastor, your pastoral staff, that God has called and positioned it for this season, right? to act as the one who gives you guidance, instruction, and correction in this season. How many know that sheep are not the brightest animals, right? Starting with myself, right? Sheep, 
right? They need a shepherd, someone to help, you know, kind of guide them and keep them on track. And so here in 1 Peter, he, he recognizes two specific groups. First, the elders, which many scholars say is the leaders or the pastors, the local sh- uh, shepherds of the congregation. And then he says those that are younger. And many scholars would agree that this just means the rest of the congregation. You know, as we look at this, we understand that God established leadership for the church. I mean, in a world that loves autonomy, right? God has established authority for the local body. I may go that, that God has put your pastor in a position of authority. Your pastor has been called by God. And don't worry, I sent this message before I came here. So, uh, you know, your pastor's been called by God. How many understand that? That it wasn't like, you know, just one morning he woke up and was like, yeah, I'm gonna just do this. But he's been called. God has entrusted him with this assignment for this season in time. He's been entrusted and assigned. And he has a great responsibility before him to care, to watch over, and to lead the flock that God has entrusted to him. For one day, as a minister of the gospel myself, I understand that there will be an extraordinary accountability. That one day, right, the under-shepherd will stand before the great shepherd and give an account for how they led and how they lived their life before the body. And Peter speaks plainly to those under that leadership. He says, you are to come under, right? And you are to apply that instruction, understanding this, that he's assuming godly authority here, right? And he's saying that you are to come under to apply that instruction to your life, not just so someone can have an ego trip, but so for this, God's established it because there's purpose to the arrangement. We are the beneficiaries of such things. How many have ever been the beneficiary of your pastor's care and concern and you're thankful for that today? You've been the beneficiary of their protection. Man, sometimes in our culture, we we don't like people to correct us, but how many know as a parent in the natural, there are oftentimes I have to correct and have conversations with my children, not because I don't love them, but because I love them so much. And your pastor at times will have to have hard conversations, but you have been the beneficiaries of their protection, been the beneficiaries of their example of a life lived well before the Lord. Now, how many are thankful for your pastor, your pastoral staff today? Man, there's a purpose to the arrangement. How many understand that You know, when we get this, there can be unity in the community. And we understand that, man, God is is established the church to model in this way. There is community and unity that can take place. There's a harmony and interweaving of different accounts into a single narrative. Our world is in chaos and in conflict right now. Our world is in dissonance. Our world does not love authority. But when the church recognizes that, man, God has established it in this way for community so we can have unity, that we can work together to accomplish the mission, man, it speaks to the world that we are not residents of this world, but we are residents of a distant country called heaven, and our king sits on a heavenly throne, and we yield to his authority. Secondly, humility is the culture of the house. You know, Peter addresses the church as a whole here. He says, all of you. So 
So from the top down, all of you, the entire congregation, he's talking about service to others horizontally. You know, as outside pressures would emerge, I'm sure the natural response is to look out for number, yeah, this is, I promise I'm not tricking you, number one, right? How many know that when things get hard, the natural response is to look out for me? And here Peter's saying, things are gonna get really hard and your natural response is gonna be to look out for you, but I am calling you to serve one another, to serve each other. And so Peter identifies two things, that humility is an act of surrendering the will. How many understand that humility doesn't come natural? I mean, it doesn't, right? It's not like we're like, yes, I want to serve someone else. No, you're like, I wanna be served. In fact, we go out to eat, right? We pay people to serve us, right? Humility doesn't come natural to us. And the Greek word used for humility is, literally it describes an apron that a servant would wear. How many understand that God has called us to put on humility? It's an act of the will. It's not like you're gonna wake up and just always feel like serving. But Peter's saying, even in moments when things are really hard, when culture is in in chaos, you know, the thing that you should do as the body of Christ is to serve one another. And so since, man, humility is a choice, since serving is a choice, we must understand that someday we're gonna stand before God and give an account for how we've served and how we've treated our brothers and sisters in Christ. I really feel like this was a message that God had given me for the church today. I grew up in church and I, I, know, I know church. And I'm saying this today, as you look across this room, go ahead, I'm gonna give you permission to move your, your bodies. As you look, you understand that these are your brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean we're all gonna see the same way. How many know even in the natural, in my home I got three boys and they're ready to throw down most days, okay? But even when we have conflict, there's a proper way to go about it, right? There's a humility that takes place there and God, let me serve, let me love in this way. Because someday I'm gonna stand before God for how I've treated those within this family and those within this body. I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke, you know, if, if there are those of you in t- here today that, and you're holding on to grudges from the past, maybe there's a seed of bitterness that you've just allowed or resentment to develop, Today I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you and the relationships that are severed will be reunited. That doesn't mean that that person necessarily has to be your best friend, but man, that separation is no longer there and that forgiveness and that we can move forward in unity in this community. It's a, ver- it's a horizontal submission. You know, it represents that vertical submission that's taken place between ourselves and God. How many know when, when we can serve this way it represents what's going on this way. It represents that, you know, as Peter says, humble yourselves before God under his mighty power. How many know that it's not gonna always be easy to serve? And that doesn't mean that in the midst of hardship, I don't have cares and concerns. Peter recognizes that. In fact, he says that as you're, you're serving and, and as you're doing these things, we're not, recognize, we're not saying that we don't have worries, cares, and concerns. Peter says, go ahead and cast those on God. 
So as I'm serving this way, that doesn't mean I don't have things that are on my shoulder, but I understand the God that I serve as a father. And I say, if you've asked me to do this, I know you'll give me the strength and the ability to do this. And when I'm worried, I'm not gonna hold on to that, but I'm gonna literally cast my cares, my concerns and my anxieties on you, for I trust you. I mean, know that God is love. That's not just one of his attributes. That's who he is. And so everything he does concerning us flows from who he is, which is love. And so we can trust him with the weight of the world when it's on our shoulders, and he will give us the grace to continue to serve those in our family. The culture of the church should reflect the humility of Christ, understanding that we have been called to humble ourselves to others and before God. Humility doesn't come natural in a world that's looking to expand their platform. Jesus picked up a towel and carried a cross. Let me know that in a culture that says to look out for number one, Christ is calling us to serve. I wonder what the church would look like and the impact we could make in the culture if we modeled this for real. How could Bethany be different How could Bethany impact the culture? And finally, hope rests on the foundation of the house. You see, the entire message of Peter as he's writing to the churches rests on this deep abiding hope that in the end of it all, it will be made right. That every trial and attack, right, will just seem fleeting compared to eternity and his confidence is in the revelation. You see, for the past 30 years, Peter's confidence rested in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's this confidence, it's this hope that Peter admonishes the church to keep also as their source of confidence. And I can't help but think, man, is Peter, does he continually go back to that moment in Matthew 16? That as he looks out on the horizon and he sees that persecution is on the rise, hardship is on the rise, in his spirit, in his gut, right? He is, hope is mounted on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ as he promised that in spite of all that, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. (laughs) Understand today, church, you are not weak. You are not a weak body. Man, we're just not hanging on for life support, but how many get that we are a Holy Spirit-empowered body, a Holy Spirit-empowered church that is called to evangelize the world, and man, we're not on life support, but Jesus Christ, His same Spirit lives in us. And so today, we can be encouraged to know that the church will endure, and it will be the vehicle by which the world will be evangelized. And we are called to eternal reward. I love that, you know, we're not called to the temporary. In a world that's grasping for straws and the fleeting, we're called to eternal glory, to eternal reward. You know, it's as if Peter reminds the church that someday the momentary, the temporary is gonna be outweighed by the eternal. You know, Revelation 21 tells us what? It says that one day he will wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more death, there'll be no more sorrow, All these things will be gone forever. But until then, in this life, as I said yesterday, you will have trial and you will have sorrow, but take heart, he said. Have hope, for I have overcome the world. What a powerful promise. You see, when the the church is marked 
by hope, the world can't help but take notice. How many just feel like the world is pretty anxious today? Man, it's like they're on edge. And working with students, I understand this, that suicide, thoughts of suicide is on the rise. Depression is on the rise, skyrocketing. You know, we have the answer to a world that is searching and hurting and lost. And if you're in here today, you're struggling with anxiety and depression, can I encourage you today that you have a God who loves you, who if he's not your father, he wants to be. That you can take those cares and worries and cast them on his shoulders for they're broad enough to carry it. As we prepare to close, if the keyboardist would just come. As I was looking at my, the contents of my Tupperware, let me have Tupperware. Tupperware. I noticed that there was a common trait, and I ask the Holy Spirit often to speak to me in ways that are simple. I don't know, just maybe because I'm simple. <laughs> you know, I, I learn from simple things. And, and as I looked at my Tupperware, I saw that there was a common trait, that they were mostly all clear. They were see-through. And the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart, man, that's just like the church. The world can see through us. If what we profess is not what we live and not what the contents in our life speak to, they don't want that. How many understand that harmony can be heard? Humility, right? That can be seen and hope can be felt. I would say that, man, for Bethany Assembly of God, you, you want the world, the pagan culture, as they look at this household, to say, wow, there's such a difference than the way I do life. Look into this and be drawn towards that. You know, so many people are run from the church because what we profess is not what we live. The second thing that I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart was that this container is mobile. Each one of you in this room represent the, the church. You represent Jesus to your world, to your house, to your community. What are the contents of your life saying? What are they saying to your children? Because I think about my kids, I want my kids to grow up to love Jesus with all their heart, understanding that they don't have a perfect mom and dad, but man, they have a mom and dad who love Jesus. And they see that in my life. I mean, I pray that for your children. I pray that over your family. I pray that for your church and the workplace in which you live, the pagan culture that's looking to engage you in a confrontation so that way you would just lash out to them. Rather, they see harmony, humility, and hope in your life. The person that's anxious at your workplace or in your school system that is filled with depression, they look at your life and although things are hard and not much different for you, they see a hope that resides within you and they say, I want that. Whatever's in you, I want that in me. Today I'm gonna ask you, here's my first call. This is a call for salvation. So this is specific. You have either never asked Jesus to come into your heart or you have before and you're far from him today. You're saying, I feel anxious. I want that hope that you speak about. Is there anybody in here today that's you and you're saying, I, I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. If there's anybody here today, I'm gonna ask you just to slip your hand up right where you're at. If that's you, 
I'm just going to take a moment. I don't want to miss anyone because this is the most important moment. I'm going to give it a moment. Here's my second call today. This is for you as a church, you as an individual. To say today, I recognize that, man, there are things that I need to allow to be emptied out of me so that God can pour his contents into me. Man, I've been walking around harboring, man, unforgiveness towards a brother, a sister, or a family member. Man, I, I haven't been serving. and I need to start serving. If that's you today, would you just stand right where you're at? You're saying, today I'm gonna say empty me so I can be filled with you. Come on church, if we wanna make a difference in our world, yes, I see your hand over there. And empty me, yes. When it starts here, you know what happens in our individual lives affects what happens in our homes. What happens in our homes affects what happens in our cities. And what happens in our cities affects what happens in our nation. So this is where we've got to get seared. Anybody else today, I'm just going to give it a moment. You're saying, I need to be emptied out of some things. I'm already standing. I'm going to give it a moment. Let this be personal, not because your neighbor's standing, but because you recognize. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict as you need to. I pray hearts would be receptive, God, as they need to. Anybody else, I'm going to give it one more moment because I still feel, I don't feel the urgency to move on from this moment yet. Yes. moment between you and God. As evangelist, I used to, starting out, I used to feel like I had to rush this moment. And I used to feel like I had to get people to respond. But the, my husband, God used the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Man, this is their moment between them and God. We're going to just wait a moment. All right. Here's what we're gonna do today. I'm gonna invite every person that has stood. Now we're gonna take, I do this often because I feel like there's something special about stepping out. If that's you and you've, you've recognized, man, there's things that I need to be emptied of, I'm gonna invite you just to find a place at this altar. So we're now we're gonna take another step out of our seat and towards the front here. And I believe this makes heaven happy. I believe this makes the heart of God happy. As we say today, I mean, I'm letting go. I recognize that there's things that I need to be emptied of so I can work together, grow and mature in accomplishing the mission that Christ has laid before us as a church. I'm gonna wait until those that can come down, come down. This is what I want you to do. We're not gonna make this some, I'm not gonna overly make this an overly emotional moment. It's okay if you get emotional. I'm just gonna come and I'm gonna lay hands. But what I'm gonna ask you to do in this moment is to have a real conversation between you and God. You already probably identify and know the area that you are talking about that needs to be, that you've walked down here for, that needs to be emptied out before God. Maybe if you don't, a good thing to say was, God, if there's any offensive way in me, God, clean it out. I'm gonna just begin to pray, okay? So I'm gonna invite you. You can lift up your hands. You can get in a posture that's different and just to begin to say, God, I pray today, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, God, for each one today. God, that's, rep that's represented here that is saying, I need God to be emptied, God, of man, an attitude. 
I need to be emptied, God, of unforgiveness. God, I need to be emptied, God, of an idea that, man, it's just about me and to look out for number one. God, I need to be emptied out, God, of all things that are not honoring to you, God, that are not edifying to you, to my walk with you, Lord Jesus. God, empty me so that way as the world looks at me, they see Jesus. God, they don't see. God, I pray for everyone that might be anxious today. God, or worried today, God. Everyone that is saying, you know what, my life, I've been walking around and I've just been just as anxious as my unsaved loved one. Lord, I pray, God, you'd fill them with hope today. God, fill them with hope. God, fill them today, God, with hope. Remind them of who, God, they are in you, Lord Jesus. God, that the temporary things of this life, God, will be outweighed one day, God, by the eternal. God, I pray, God, that you'd even now, God, fill these people with the baptism in the Holy Spirit, God, as they pour themselves out before you, Lord Jesus. Would you just fill them? God, fill them. Let this be a church that's filled with hope, God, harmony, God, and humility, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, God, if there are those that need to ask for forgiveness, God, today, that they would not leave here before doing so. God, I pray if there are those that need to be to need to forgive, God, I pray you'd give them the grace to do that. Lord Jesus, that there would be no disunity within this body. But God, but they would move forward, God, in supernatural unity today. Supernatural unity. God, they would move forward with powerful force. Powerful force, Lord God, affecting the world in which they live. Lord Jesus. God, that it's more than just about me, God. It's about being a part of working together as a body of believers to accomplish the mission for which you have called. Lord God, empty us today. Empty us today and fill us, God. Fill us today. Here's my final call today. If you're in here today and you are saying, and this is a widespread call, but you're saying, if you're already up here at the altar, I'm just gonna say that's you too. But you're saying, I am gonna be a household of faith. I commit to being a body that works towards harmony, humility, and hope. That I am gonna come under the leadership of our pastor and I am going to support and apply that instruction that I am gonna be a part of the mission. If that's you and you're saying, I wanna be a part of what God is doing in Agawam of Beth at Bethany Assembly of God and I commit to those things, I'm gonna invite you to stand right where you're at in your seats. I'm not gonna ask you to come down, but you're gonna stand right where you are. You're saying, I am committing to be a part of this. I am committing to this. Here's what I'm gonna ask to do next. Ask Pastor Stephen, I know I didn't prep you for this, but I always feel so, and, and Andrea, would you mind coming right here? I don't know who the board members are, but if there are any board members that wouldn't mind coming behind them this morning, if there's any that are here, and just placing your hands on them. As a congregation, what I'm gonna ask you to do is extend your arms out to them understand that they have been called by God. They've been entrusted and assigned for this season, for this moment in time. The church benefits because of the authority, the godly authority, the blessing that he's given the church. 
and we're just gonna pray over your pastor. You don't have to know anything specific. You can pray, man, for their finances. You can pray for their children. You can pray for an anointing. You can pray for all of those things, but I'm gonna lead out in prayer. And, and board members, I'm gonna just ask you to pray out loud for them to hear you. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for Pastor Stephen. I thank you for Andrea. God, I thank you for their beautiful three children, God, that you have blessed them with. Lord, I pray, God, even now first, God, for their marriage, God, continue to, to bind them together, God. Strengthen them with every year, God, that goes by, that they would become more united, more focused, God. I pray even for their individual callings, Lord, and giftings, God, that you would refine them, Lord Jesus, that you would make them clearer, Lord God, that you'd sharpen them in those giftings. God, I pray for creativity, God, in every area. God, but even more than creativity, God, I pray for the anointing, Lord Jesus, to be poured out upon them, Lord God, as they lead and as they desire to lead, God, with care, God, and, and to lead, God, by a good example, this body for which you've entrusted to them. Lord, I pray, God, for their children today. God, I pray, God, for their protection, God, all the days of their life, God, that even now, you would. You, we already know that you've established their steps, Lord, but I pray you continue to, to develop them, Lord. Birth and ignite, God, an unquenchable fire, a passion for the things of you within each of their children, Lord God, that they would be mighty, a mighty young woman and two mighty young men, God, that are sold out to Jesus all the days of their life, Lord God. I pray, God, that as, as Pastor Stephen and Andrea, they pour out, Lord God, that you would pour into their family, Lord, that their children would be blessed, God, in abundance by the life that they see their parents live and model out before them. Lord, I pray, God, for as they lead this church in this specific ministries, Lord God, I pray, God, for a double anointing, Lord. I pray today, God, that you would just give them everything that they need, God, and everything that they feel that they lack, Lord Jesus, that you would prove that you are more than enough, Lord God. I pray that they would see giftings formed within themselves, God, that they never knew that they had. God, wisdom that only supernaturally comes from you. God, I pray you give them favor in the community, Lord God. Favor, God, in the culture, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray, God, that you would just bless them and pour into them, Lord. I pray for a unity, God, with even in the team, Lord God, of pastoral staff, Lord God, that you would, there would be a unity, God, a, a cohesiveness to, God, that group, that they would be of one mind and one spirit, God, even among the board, Lord Jesus, that everything that you would desire, the enemy would desire to cause disruption and to cause division, that, God, the opposite would take place. There would be a unity and a community, God, that it would, they would be like an arrow as they move forward, Lord Jesus. God, and I pray, God, that at every attack, God, even in moments where there might be differing of opinions, God, let it be done in grace and in your way, Lord God, in resolution, God, that they would be able to continue to move forward, that they would not be distracted by anything. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, God, for the board members, give them wisdom. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would give them a heart to serve, God, to come alongside and support. And God, I pray for the everyone that serves in this church, this local body, bless them. Let this be a household, God, of faith, Lord Jesus. God, I pray, God, that they would be an empowered body, understanding that they are mobile units of this church and representatives of Christ, God. God, would you birth new giftings, birth, God, new passions, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God, for all things. God, let us empty anything that's not of you so you can pour into, God, pour into, 
God, making Bethany that household of faith that represents you well to the pagan culture in which you've called us to reach. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. Yeah.